0: Hello, welcome to the Myths and History of Greece and Rome, Chapter 57, Hannibal. By 275, all of the Italian peninsula, including the Greek cities of Magna Gratia, was controlled by Rome, but Rome was still only a regional power. There were many other kingdoms and empires across the Mediterranean which were larger and more powerful. Within 250 years, Rome would absorb all of them. It was the next 130 years that turned Rome from a very important regional power into what would become a conquering empire. It was Carthage and Macedonia that stood in the growing republic's way, and it was Carthage and Macedonia that drew Rome's attention. By the time of Rome's great expansion and conquests, the structure of Roman life was clearly defined. We've already looked at how a noble man could work his way up the cursus honorum, Before we launch into the most famous of Republican Rome's wars against its neighbours, we'll have a little look at the place of women and marriage in Rome's society during the Republican period. Roman society was heavily developed in comparison with other ancient peoples, but we must remember that medicine was still in its infancy and life expectancy wasn't great. Life expectancy at birth was 25 to 30, but this was mainly due to the fact that around 50% of children died before they reached the age of 10. If a person survived to 20, then he or she could expect to live to the age of 50 to 55. The fact that many men died in wars and many women didn't survive childbirth meant that marriages didn't always last very long. Also, given that a lot of marriages at the top of society were arranged for political reasons, divorce and remarriage were commonplace. Many of the leading senators and other high-profile figures were married more than once. The Romans had an idealised idea of the perfect wife. The wife was seen as the support for the husband and had very little actual power of her own. Women couldn't hold political office and couldn't vote. The only women with any powerful status were the Vestal Virgins, a group of female priests who maintained the eternal flame on the altar of Vesta. These women were highly respected but if they broke their vows, they were severely punished. Some transgressions resulted in being buried alive. So, even the Vestal Virgins were under the complete control of the male-dominated Roman elite. It was no use wanting political power if you were a woman in Republican Rome. Despite the fact that it may not have been much fun to be a woman in Rome, the society was a very stable one. The assemblies and elections gave the common people a say in what was going on, as long as they were men, of course and the rich farming economy provided food and manpower for the armies. The expansion into the whole Italian peninsula added more allies and more fighting men. But Rome was still a regional power. It was strong, stable and respected, but it wasn't particularly large. It was the fight against Carthage that changed this forever. Carthage was a city founded before records began on the north coast of Africa. The modern city of Tunis, capital of Tunisia, is built on the site of the ancient city. The Carthaginians controlled most of the North African coast, Corsica, Sardinia and a bit of southern Spain. By the time the Romans started their expansion, Carthage was the most powerful state on the Mediterranean Sea and had the best sailors in the known world. Carthage also had some territory on the island of Sicily and that is where the Carthaginians first encountered the Romans. The Sicilians tried to use the Romans and Carthaginians to solve their own arguments, and the Romans and Carthaginians just didn't agree on the solution. This led to war, mainly because it was obvious that the Romans were just trying to take more territory, despite the fact that they claimed they were simply there to defend their allies. The Romans took the city of Syracuse, and the Carthaginians prepared for war. And so began the First Punic War. The fighting in Sicily resulted in a stalemate not satisfactory for either side. The Romans generally held the upper hand in the land battles, but the Carthaginians defended the coastal towns using their powerful navy. Carthaginian strength was built on the might of their fleet. No other power in the western Mediterranean had anything like the same navy, and Carthage bossed the seas. As well as defending their Sicilian towns, they carried out raids on the Italian coast. It's here that we see one of the first examples of the Roman talent for learning and adapting that made them so formidable. A Carthaginian ship of a type known as a quinquereme ran aground in Italy. The Romans took it to their port and within 60 days had built a 120 of their own. This was an unbelievable achievement and must have rattled the Carthaginian leadership. The Romans weren't great sailors, but they learned quickly, and in 260 BC, won a naval victory over their enemies at Mylae. The Romans hadn't yet learned, though, not to bite off more than they could chew. Flushed with their success at Mylae, they sent an army to Africa. The Carthaginians were ready for them. Under the command of a Spartan called Xanthippus, they inflicted a heavy defeat on the Roman force. Soon after that, a Roman fleet was caught in a violent storm. 280 ships were lost, and over 100,000 men lost their lives. Carthage gained the upper hand in the war, inflicting a number of naval defeats on their Italian enemy. But the Romans, until the 300s AD, when things started to go a bit wobbly, never took a defeat as a defeat. A defeat was simply a delayed victory. Over the next 20 years, naval battles and naval defeats occurred, and many more men were lost. The Romans simply rubbed themselves down and built more fleets and sent more men. Finally, in 241... The Roman navy crushed the Carthaginians near Sicily and Carthage sued for peace. They were forced to abandon Sicily and pay a handsome tribute to Rome. Rome occupied Sicily and set it up as a territory to be governed by Rome. A praetor was sent to be governor. The population was taxed and a garrison set up to maintain order. Thus Sicily became a prototype for future Roman imperial provinces. Not long after, the island of Sardinia also fell under Roman control. In 218 the war kicked off again and this time it nearly spelled the end of the growing Roman Empire. There were to be many great enemies of Rome during its long history. We will meet De Cabalus, Caneva, Charpor, Crum, Robert Giscard, Bohemond and finally Mehmet II, among many others, later in our story, but it's a Carthaginian general named Hannibal Baraka who had the honour of being the first. Hannibal's father had made him promise never to be a friend of Rome and the younger Hannibal lived up to that promise in spades. After Rome gained control of Sicily and Sardinia the Carthaginians only European territory was their part of Spain. In order to make up for losing their Italian islands they expanded their territory in Spain. Rome increasingly seeing itself as an important player in the game of Mediterranean politics was alarmed by this expansion. In 226 BC A treaty agreed that the river Ebro would be the boundary between the Carthaginian territory and the area which would fall under Roman influence. In 219 Hannibal broke the treaty with Rome by attacking the city of Saguntum in Spain. Rome declared war on Carthage and then Hannibal took loads more territory in Spain. The Romans prepared to move against Hannibal and were intent on fighting on Carthaginian held land but the great general surprised them. He took thousands of men and 36 war elephants across the Alps and into northern Italy. Although many thousands of men died during the perilous journey, Hannibal emerged from the mountains with 20,000 very well trained and experienced troops from Spain and Africa. He also had his elephants and 6,000 superb Numidian cavalry. The Romans were shocked. They thought this was impossible. Men from the recently conquered Roman territory of Cisalpine Gaul revolted and joined Hannibal on his march south. Hannibal defeated armies sent to stop him a number of times, and then advanced into Italy. There, his army met the Roman legions at the Battle of Cannae. The Carthaginians were outnumbered by more than two to one, but they were very, very well trained, and extremely determined. Hannibal, of course, was also an expert general, and he crushed the Romans, leaving more than 50,000 of them dead. Soon, He was within six miles of Rome itself, and was sending messages to the Senate in Rome offering a peace treaty which favoured Carthage. Meanwhile the Greek cities in southern Italy revolted against Roman rule. It looked like all was lost, but the Senate refused to give in. Hannibal didn't have quite enough military strength to take Rome, but he continued to fight in Italy for 16 more years. The Romans adopted a policy of watching Hannibal and following him around never offering a full battle, but keeping an eye on what he was doing. Most of the Italian allies remained loyal to Rome, and thus it was 16 years of a very odd stalemate. The most brilliant general of his time, along with a powerful army, wandered around enemy territory. They were too strong to be beaten, but not numerical enough to win a war. During this time, the Romans had to put down a rebellion in Syracuse. It was there that an unknown soldier cut down Archimedes that great greek circle lover and mathematician hannibal begged the leaders in carthage for reinforcements but none came if they had then rome may well have been destroyed the romans realized they couldn't beat hannibal in italy so they attacked the carthaginian spanish possessions they were led by two brothers publius and gnaeus cornelius scipio in two eleven both brothers were killed in battle and the leadership of the roman army in spain was given to Publius' his 24-year-old son. This man, also known as Publius Cornelius Scipio, came to be known, for reasons we shall soon discover, as Scipio Africanus. By 205, he had defeated the Carthaginians and kicked them out of Spain. On returning to Rome, Scipio was showered with gifts and compliments and elected consul, even though he was far too young and had not had any of the other jobs he was supposed to have before becoming consul. He had reached the top of the Cursus Honorum without having to climb the greasy pole. Scipio was given the authority and resources to mount an attack on Carthage itself. Scipio Africanus ran through Africa, defeating one Carthaginian army after another, until Hannibal was recalled to help defend Carthage itself. Scipio had negotiated the support of the Numidians and had almost unlimited resources granted to him by Rome. Hannibal's army was defeated by Scipio, at the battle of zama in two o two b c carthage accepted peace and it wasn't a very good peace all territory outside africa was lost the great carthaginian empire was gone all that was left was the city itself the second punic war was a massive victory for rome hannibal left carthage and fought for other peoples against rome he died in one eighty one b c he killed himself so he'd never be killed by a roman Scipio became Scipio Africanus and returned to Rome. There he celebrated a great triumph and was remembered by future generations as one of Rome's greatest heroes. The Second Punic War was a clash between two of the greatest commanders that the ancient world ever knew. It is said that sometime after the peace was agreed, Scipio and Hannibal met and ate dinner together. This was inevitably going to be a massive clash of egos and so it proved. Scipio asked Hannibal who he considered to be the greatest general to have ever lived. Hannibal replied that it was, of course, Alexander of Macedon, known to us as Alexander the Great. Scipio agreed that the greatest was, of course, Alexander, and then he asked Hannibal who he thought the second greatest was. Hannibal replied, Pyrrhus of Epirus. Scipio was not at all happy about this, but decided to go on, and he asked Hannibal to whom he would give the third place. He clearly expected Hannibal to say that he, Scipio, was next. Hannibal replied, I would give third place to myself, for when I was a young man I conquered Spain and crossed the Alps with an army. I invaded Italy and struck terror into all of you, laid waste to 400 of your towns and often put your city in extreme peril, all this time receiving neither money nor reinforcements from Carthage. Scipio realised he wasn't going to get what he wanted from Hannibal and he started laughing. He then asked Hannibal where he thought that he, Hannibal, would rank if he had defeated Scipio's Rome. He laughed even louder when Hannibal said that he would have ranked even higher than Alexander the Great if he had actually won. The victory over Carthage kicked off two processes which would dominate Rome for the next 200 years. First, it was a blueprint for the future expansion of Rome under powerful warlords in the image of Scipio many other great war leaders would rise and perform great deeds, bringing ever more glory. On the negative side, the seeds for the destruction of the Republic were sown. As others wanted to emulate the achievements of the great Scipio Africanus, they found the collective authority of the Republic got in their way. Increasingly, they would take power they didn't really have and do things they weren't really allowed to do. This culminated in the illegal exploits of a certain Gaius Julius Caesar and his adopted son. During the Second Punic War, Rome was also fighting in Macedonia. As we've already heard in our trip through ancient Greek history, in 148 BC, Macedonia was finally crushed, and soon most of Greece had been absorbed into the Roman world. The Roman struggle with Carthage wasn't quite over, though. There were many people in Rome who thought that the civilization may rise again and threaten the growing empire. A senator called Cato the Elder made many great speeches in the Senate, At the end of every speech, he would say Carthage must be destroyed, even if the speech was about something else entirely. In 151 BC, Carthage was attacked by the Numidians, once allies of the Carthaginians. Carthage raised an army and defended itself, but the Romans protested that the Carthaginians were attacking their friends. After all, the Numidians had been part of the Roman force at Zama. Rome declared war, and Cato got his wish. Carthage was a pale shadow of its former self. It had no Numidian allies, no troops from Spain, and no Hannibal Baraka. The Carthaginians surrendered and begged for peace. Rome forced them to surrender their weapons and hand over 300 people to be hostages. Rome then demanded that Carthage be abandoned and a new city be built at least 10 miles from the sea. This was too much, and Carthage bravely held out and fought back. They had no chance although they held out longer than most people would have thought possible. In 146 BC, after a three-year siege, the city was taken by storm. The general who led the attack was called Scipio Aemilianus, and he was the adopted grandson of Scipio Africanus. When the fighting was over and he saw the burning city, Scipio began to cry. The Greek historian Polybius was with the general and asked him why he was weeping after such a glorious victory. Scipio replied, It is glorious, but one day another general will give the same order to another army and destroy the Empire of Rome. 1,598 years later, that order was given. If you are enjoying the podcast, please go to iTunes and leave me a good review. If you would like to give me feedback directly, then contact me by email mythandhistory at gmail.com or friend me on Facebook Paul Vincent, Myth and History. Please also visit the website www.mythandhistory.podbean.com On the website is a place where you can, if you choose, make a donation. I produce this podcast for fun and it is, and will remain, free. But there are hosting costs etc and if you would like to make a donation then it would be much appreciated. I'd like to give my heartfelt thanks to those listeners who have given me donations in the past. So all that remains is for me to wish everyone a very merry Christmas and a happy new year and I'll speak to you in the new year.